I'm not sure if uh, you remember, but there'll be some here who remember. About 20 years ago, there was a business set up around Pimpermar, halfway between Brisbane and the Gold Coast, and it manufactured domestic cleaning products. And the name of this cleaning product was called Big Kev's. It's coming back, isn't it? I can see it in some eyes. Anyway, Big Kev would get on TV and hold up this bottle of bleach and say, I'm excited! And that was it. That was Big Kev's big uh, promotional logo was I'm excited. And truly, this is the first in a series of God's champions, and I'm excited. It truly is. This is wonderful stuff. Um, these are people who fully abandoned their whole lives to God. Um, and this morning we're focusing on Joseph. Now, the way I'm going to go about this, Joseph is pretty much a third of the whole book of Genesis. And if you include his great-grandfather, the chapters about Abraham, you've got well over half of one of the longest books in the whole of the Bible. And we haven't got time in 15 to 20 minutes to go through even briefly all the things that happened in Joseph's life. So what we're going to focus on today is the blessing that he received, this historical and this prophetic blessing that he received from his father Jacob as Jacob lay dying and he blessed uh, all of his children. Although when you read them, you may think that this sometimes is some blessings that you don't really want. Um, But we will briefly survey his remarkable life um, and we'll focus on the blessing and the connection that that has with our lovely gospel reading this morning and how that relates specifically to us, to St Andrews. Today's Old Testament reading is set at the end of Jacob's very long life, and it's his deathbed blessings to his sons. Before we can look at the blessings in detail, we need to put this whole passage into context. And where does it sit in the book of Genesis, and where does it sit in the great plan of God, which is this is the beginning of a family becoming a people. And Joseph was the great catalyst that that formed this people of God that became known as the Israelites and lived in Egypt for 400 years until next week when Charlie will tell us what happened then. Now, Genesis has 50 chapters, so it's a huge book. The first 11 of them pretty much deal in prehistory, in creation and in destruction, um, how we have fallen, the fall. And then in chapter 12, God calls, calls Abram and makes a covenant with him that his offspring will be more numerous than all of the stars in the sky. Now, Abraham had two sons. Ishmael was his eldest with his wife's servant, Hagar, because both, as you know, Abraham and Sarah were so old that she didn't think she could conceive. But God's chosen line was through his second son to his wife, who was miraculously conceived and bore Isaac. And God's chosen line was through Isaac, who with Rebekah had twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Now, even though he was not the eldest, once again, um, the, the the notion of the eldest um, becoming the favoured line is uh, totally distorted from the word go. Uh, even though he was not the eldest, Joseph rece- uh, sorry, Jacob received Joseph's blessing through the line which God's covenant would continue. Now, Jacob had 12 sons one of whom was named Jacob, uh, Joseph. Forgive me if I get these mixed up, Joseph and Jacob, truly. I've had them in my head for pretty well 10 days. Um, but this is the beginning of the Joseph story. Now, Joseph and Benjamin, two of these 12, were born to, to Jacob's favourite wife. Um, we find that hard to comprehend, 
that they could have favourite wives. But most of his children were born to Leah, six of them, his first wife. But he truly loved Rachel. And his favourite, um, Jacob's favourite, was Joseph. And he was born to his favourite wife, Rachel. And the reason Joseph was his favourite, because he was born very late in Jacob's life to his favourite wife. So he was always very special. Now, when you've got 12 sons and one is especially favoured, you have got a recipe for disaster. Now, he gave what the scriptures, Jacob gave Joseph, that is, what the scriptures call a richly ornamented robe and what um, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice called uh, an amazing technicolour dream coat, which to me sounds way better than an ornamental robe. But not only did your brothers think it was that he was spoiled... <laughs> But he also used to dob on them, what we used to call dob on them. He'd tell bad reports of his brothers to his father. And so to his brothers, he was this awful spoilt brat. But not only that, he had these series of dreams um, that God had given him in which his brothers bowed down to him. And the scripture says, and they hated him even more. So this is the background to this awful things that, that these brothers did, did to Joseph. So... The 12 brothers are out tending sheep one day when the remaining brothers decide that they have to kill Joseph. That way they can get the favour back from their father. But his brother, the eldest, the firstborn, Reuben, intervenes by saying, no, no, we can't do that. We can't bring down blood guilt on ourselves. Let's just chuck him in this cistern here and sell him to someone. So instead of killing him, they stripped him of his wonderful robe and threw him in this big hole in the ground which was meant to contain water. It's called a cistern. Anyway, along came some Midianite merchants from Midian, which is where Moses' father came, father-in-law came from, um, for 20 shekels of silver. So they didn't kill him, but they sold him into slavery, and the Midianite merchants took Joseph down to Egypt and sold him to the head of the guard, of Pharaoh's guard, whose name was Potiphar. So he was sold into Potiphar's household. And this is where the trouble began. Joseph must have been a very impressive person to meet. I think he would have been a charismatic person. He, he, people followed him all his life. He was a natural leader. Um, to cut a really wonderful period of short, um, uh, a really long story short, Joseph was betrayed by Potiphar's wife who accused him of sexual assault, essentially, and he was imprisoned. So not only has he been abandoned by all his brothers, his father thinks that he's dead because his brothers dipped his wonderful ornamental robe in the blood of a goat so that his father would think he'd been killed by a wild animal. He's been totally um, bad-mouthed and said lies said upon him, and he's in an Egyptian prison totally alone. But God had blessed Joseph with an ability not only to have prophetic dreams, as he did with his brothers and his father, but also to interpret dreams. Now, he interpreted one of Pharaoh's dreams to mean that there was going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of bumper wheat crops and grain crops, and then seven years of famine, so no one would be able to be fed. Um, the famine uh, was also going to hit Canaan, which is where Joseph's family still lived. Uh, now, when this famine hit... Joseph had told Pharaoh, you must supply, in the seven good years, you must store up all his food so for the seven lean years we'll be able to feed our people. And his advice was taken. He became to be seen as a very wise man. Now, 
What happened in Canaan at this time is that Jacob's sons came down because there was no grain in Canaan. So they came down to see if they could get any grain. Now, by this time, Joseph was a senior bureaucrat in the government of Egypt, perhaps is a way to describe it. Um, now, even though Joseph recognised these men who had come down from Canaan to get grain from Egypt as his brothers, he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything to them. He ensured that much grain was taken back and in each grain and each bag of grain he put a little sack of, of silver as well. They returned to Canaan, but the famine was really fierce and all of that ran out. So they had to go back again to Egypt. And then finally, Joseph makes himself known as the brother they had sold and left for dead. In a really moving scene, and I urge you to read read uh, chapters 37 to 50 in Genesis yourself, um, he forgives his brothers, he blesses them, and Joseph promises to take care of all of them, including his father Jacob. So Jacob and his sons eventually move down to Egypt and they prosper and multiply, and Jacob dies, and this is where Genesis ends. And this is where we come in this morning with Jacob's blessing to Joseph on his deathbed. And so Joseph, at the start of this chapter, gathers all his sons around and says, gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. So this blessing is a prophetic blessing, which is really good for the church. His words to his son are a prophetic blessing as an aside. I just need to make a quick comment about how we can read the Old Testament, and make it relevant to our lives. The scriptures show God revealing himself to the world and revealing his divine plan for us. And the Old Testament is always pointing, always, to the fullness of that revelation, which is in the person of Jesus, in the person of Jesus Christ. His birth, life and ministry, death, resurrection and ascension, because in Christ the very fullness of God dwells. So if it's pointing always towards Christ, it's always pointing towards God. So without Jesus as the fulfilment of every type in the Old Testament or every character or every picture or every sacrifice, the Bible as a unified entity won't make sense, I don't think. But when viewed through the perspective of God revealing himself through Christ, it becomes really cohesive. So in Jacob's blessing of Joseph, we look for Christ. We look for where the cross is in this blessing, who is telling us that he has a plan and that we can trust him. Jesus himself tells us this is how we are to read the scriptures. When Jesus was talking about the scriptures, he was referring to the Old Testament. So on the road to Emmaus, he tells two disciples, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of scripture concerning himself. So Jesus himself saw all things in the Old Testament pointing towards him. And in John chapter 5.39, he says, You search the scriptures, and these are they that testify of me. So in this way, we can look at what Jacob's blessing on Joseph says about our life today here at St. Francis. Now, arching over this whole five short verses of this blessing is praise for God the Father. The writer of this passage uses five different names for God. He's the mighty one of Jacob, he's the shepherd, he's the rock of Israel, he's your father's God, and he is the almighty. So in five verses, he has named God in five separate ways. God doesn't have a name, but the way he is described is by his attributes, 
by who he is. So Jacob's blessings to his sons are prophetic, and arching over all this is praise for God and acknowledgement that it is through God that Joseph was blessed with such gifts, such amazing gifts. Now, it starts off um, in verse 22 with likening Joseph to a tree with firm roots and it grows in the sun against a wall so it's blossoming. Its roots are beside a spring. This is part of the oldest, um, one of the oldest known tropes in all of Hebrew poetry is that the righteous one is rooted in the earth. In Psalm 1, we read, um, they are like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in good season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So this is a common way in the Old Testament, particularly in poetry, and this is the this is part of the longest section of poetry in all of Genesis, these blessings of Jacob. Um, and whatever they do prospers. And in Isaiah, and Jesus himself quoted this passage at the synagogue. He didn't include this bit at the end, but we will later on. Whatever they do prospers. And in Isaiah 61, they shall be called oaks of righteousness, a planting for the Lord, for the display of his splendour. So this image of Joseph being rooted and and um, and totally grounded in God is this classic metaphor that our gospel is referring to as well. So this too means that our works will be uh, productive. Jesus is the true vine, our, our gospel reading said this morning. So if we remain in that vine, just as Joseph remained in the will of God, in the centre of the will of God, um, we will bear fruit and grow for our, our Lord just as Joseph did. But there's a way we can do this. This isn't just a magic thing. Oh, we'll be like Joseph, root ourselves in God and we'll bloom. There's things we need to do to do that. Uh, the gospel reading has a notion of abiding, of living. Um, remain in me. I think a better word is abide. Abide means live. You know, it is in Christ that we make our home because Jesus has made his home in us. That's why we can do it, because he first loved us. So in John 15, 4, Jesus promised he will abide in us, abide in us, if we will abide in him. So we plant ourselves, just like Joseph, we plant ourselves in Jesus, if you like, the living water, just as the bough bears much fruit because it's planted by a spring that will never fail. So this blessing of Joseph can be looked at the blessings of the, of the bough or the branch, the bow, and the blessing itself. Now all of these three Bs, branch, bow, bow, and blessing are actually intertwined and feed each other. You cannot separate them. So the next couple of verses look at what the writer calls the bow. And the bow is used against us and the bow is provided by our Lord that we can fight with, that we fight back with. So the bows used against Joseph were truly lethal. Can you imagine what it felt like to know that all your brothers wanted you as good as dead? They would prefer to sell you into slavery um, he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of assault and imprisoned. Uh, not all things go swimmingly in our life. Now, many of us know that to be true. Sometimes things just seem so overwhelming. But the great benefit of looking at the champions of the faith, they were all overwhelmed. Every one of them were overwhelmed. And we can look at them and see what they did. What they did was they just pressed in, always pressed in, 
onto the love that God had for them and that reassuring peace that comes from the knowledge of that. Um, But just as with Joseph, God supplied Joseph with these bows that he could fight back with and they're exactly the same bows that we have in Jesus Christ. When we accept Jesus as Lord, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, just like that, and display the fruit of this Spirit. And these are the bows of Christ, and they're also the bows that Joseph used um, to fight against the things that were oppressing him. So Joseph used the bows of patience. He was incredibly patient. He was sitting in a jail cell, and yet he knew God had given him these dreams. He knew that something bigger was there, but it didn't look like it. So he had patience, and he was good. He was a good person. The way he treated his family was good. These are fruits of the Spirit that totally disarm anything that isn't from God. They have no power against these wonderful things that are the nature of God himself. Um, His life in Egypt was marked by a self-control that made him to make wise decisions for Pharaoh. It was marked by faithfulness, another fruit of the Spirit, um, to God in his faithfulness to God's plan. And when reunited with his brothers, Joseph gives all the glory to God. In, in verse 45, 8, he says, It was not you who even sent me here, but God. And in, in, in 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it to good, intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, this is the purpose for these Jesus-wrought bows that we've been provided with to proclaim the name of Jesus and to prevail against the bows of the enemy and the saving of many lives. Now, the final section of this passage is the blessing, but the blessing is in the whole five verses. Jacob's blessing on Joseph is the same blessing that rests on us. The blessing is shaped around the work of the bow. So Joseph's bow remains steady and his arms remain limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob. There's the blessing. He was blessed with um, arms that stayed limber and a steady bow. That's the blessing, is in the bow. Because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of the, our Father's God who helps you with the blessings of all of heaven. So for us, we're blessed with the fruit of the Spirit because of our Saviour Jesus. So our blessing is our bow that we are given upon the moment we first believe. So Christ comes first and the blessing comes from him. We don't attempt to fight with any other bow apart from the bow that is Christ himself in us, the hope of glory. And as a part of the body of Christ, the universal people of God, we can apply this to us here at St Andrews, specifically to us here in the room right now. We, as a section of God's children, we are one with each other in the same way that we are one in Christ. Now, this is a really difficult concept for us to get. When we are one individually in Christ, which we are, one together in Christ as one body, that is when we are fruitful. That is when we are blessed. That is when we are rooted in Christ, when we remain in the true vine. We do this by putting Jesus first in everything. When we do this, we're protected from the bows of our enemies and we're also armed with godly weapons to bring light to darkness. We fire arrows of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, 
gentleness and self-control, all of which were exhibited by Joseph. Over the coming weeks, we'll look closely at these champions and look at the result of their lives. And in all of them, God's plan for his people, God's people, has been advanced. And we'll see that next week, and we'll see that the week after in Daniel. And this is God's plan for St. Andrews as well, that we advance. We, We are the body of Christ that advances. We can't not if we remain rooted. Just as the tree will grow if it remains rooted in water, it can't not grow. And it's the same with us. We can't not grow. We open up our, our one church heart, one church heart, and we open up and let Christ come out from us so that all may know Jesus Christ in whom the very fullness of God dwells until we all experience the final act of revelation which when Jesus will come back for us. He's going to come back and collect us and we will be with him forever. So let me pray if you wouldn't mind. Dear Lord, as you soften and quiet our one heart, plant our roots deeply in you, for only you are our life. Gently prune us and cleanse us, Father, so we may bloom to your glory where you have planted us in Springfield. In Jesus' name, amen.